Battleship! Battleship! Battleship, Milton Bradley's great game of strategy. It's loaded with action and suspense. Play it anytime, anywhere. B4. Hit. J1. Ah, oh, you missed. J10. Oh, you my battleship. <laughs> battleship. Welcome to episode 54 of the Music Relish Show. I'm Mark with Lou and Perry. Tonight, we're going to talk about an REM album that people may have forgotten about called New Adventures in Hi-Fi. We're going to talk about hated albums from bands. And we're going to have lots of random relish and trivia, my favorite. And just to say, that Battleship ad, that would never work today, that game, because it depended on honesty to admit that your Battleship yes, was sunk. That's right. So how's it going, guys? Good, good. I got COVID. <sighs> and you're a trooper. <laughs> the drummer is here. <laughs> He's not feeling that well. Uh, my son and I, we, we, we like Battleship. And he yeah. usually wins. But he I check it out my... to make sure he's really winning. <laughs> well, now it's electronic, so you can't fudge it. You there, know? I don't have, we, don't, we have the old, the old school one. We don't have the electronic one. Oh, that's cool. That's Does cool. electronic one have to have noises? Does it have like... Yeah, yeah. And then when you punch it in, I, I didn't find it fun at all. I Battleship was my favorite. My favorite. But you, but you don't like the electric one? Uh, yeah, I'm not into the newfangled stuff. I can't even figure out my Mac to record. So much to the gotcha. chagrin of you and Perry, I can't record. <laughs> so anyway, um, starting off the show tonight, uh, we've kind of touched base on an album from R.E.M. that kind of flew under the radar for for me at least. Uh, new Adventures in Hi-Fi. And uh, Lou, you had a kind of a looking back on it you wanted to do tonight. Yeah. I, I did a REM retrospective recently. And that was an album that when it first came out, it was in uh, 96, September of 96. It, that's the first record to not do as well as a previous record in REM's history. So that that's considered their the beginning of their so-called, it's mentioned as an artistic decline at times, but... Th that, that that depends, you know. Um, yeah, so it, it was recorded at like sound checks and some gigs. So it's, it's a kind of a live album, and I believe there's four four or five studio cuts that they they put on there that they actually went to a studio. I think there's four tracks, and I there's outtakes and B sides as well. Um, yeah, it's a tenth studio album, uh, the fifth album for Warner Brothers. That's that was you know when they signed to Warner Brothers, that was their major label debut uh, with Green. And for me, that period, after Document, I was pick and choose, pick and choosy with R.E.M. Um, <laughs> although I, I love Monster, but I've come to really like this record. I, I think it's 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 adventurous, it's it's experimental at times, and it's pretty damn heavy if you really listen to it. And I, I just think it's and it's it's got a cult following now. I just, I just think it's one of those, um, you know, records. Like I said, a lot of people, it just it sounded, it didn't sound great when it first came out. I thought when I first yeah. got it, I had on. Uh, Probably cassette, probably. I had on CD, <laughs> and I uh, know I probably had it on cassette. I think, but uh, 
you know, it, it just it sounded like empty. It sounded distant. Uh, mm. I, I guess that's because of the fact it was recorded at sound checks and things like that. But now when I listen back to it, it's there's some great music on this, some great playing and some great songs. And uh, it's got some actually they had like five singles from this record or at least or four no four singles. Ebo the letter uh, with Patti Smith, uh, Bittersweet Me, Electrolyte, which is one of my favorite R.E.M. songs. It's at the two of these singles are actually are some of my favorite R.E.M. songs. Electrolyte kind of an acoustic number with some great violin on it and how the West was one and where it got us. That's the opening track on the record. It's got that spaghetti Western sound. It's got the big yeah. reverby guitar. Yeah. Um, so yeah. But, yeah. So I actually had, I was listening to it today and, you know, I think it's like, it's a record. A lot of fans went, okay, you know, a couple songs here and there, but the songwriting is strong and the songs are, are very strong. Actually, you know, a couple of things, are. every album, you know, there's 14 songs on the, on the release. And every album's got a couple songs you can know, do, do out or do better than others or that you like yeah. better. But yeah. in retrospect, I think it's one of their best. Uh, apparently, it's, it's Michael Stipe's favorite record that they've done. Uh, the band thinks it's their creative and artistic peak. Uh, Tom York of Radiohead says it's one of his favorite albums. So, so yeah. What um, do you guys think of it? I, I'll tell you what. The reason it didn't hit me is... I was going through this period. This is when I kind of checked out of music. It was the nineties and I was driving every day to Bridgeport for from my work. I thought CDs had to have a nice crystal clear sound. And so I didn't like it for that right. reason because the live cuts don't have many highs. And uh, one, I forget, I think it was new musical express said that in their review of it. Cause I think everybody back then was, was expecting a nice digital sound. And, um, right. Looking back, I listen to it now, and I'm like, no, this was actually the CD doing its job of giving us an authentic sound of what they wanted. Yeah. And I get why Michael Stipe probably likes it, because it was a radic it was a different way of doing an album. They might have been a little bit in burnout mode. Let's record songs on an 8-track at our, at, our, uh, at our show rehearsals, you know, yeah. at soundtracks. So, you know, um, but yeah, it, it, I just, I wasn't into Ebo the Letter when it first came out. I remember it came on and I listened and I just, you know, you go in and out with things, you know. Um, but yeah, it definitely, I got it back into it. Well, I didn't really listen to it, but my son bought it two years ago. He got me the vinyl reissue of it and I started playing it and I, I just realized it's, 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 it's got quirky songs on it. Uh, Leave, my favorite. Yeah. So, it's got Harry, that, by the way, just that. to tell you, you're on mute if you're, you're uh, on your end. That's why. But um, it's definitely worth a reappraisal. You know, it's it's it yeah. stood the test of time. And uh, Monster was considered their heavy record. Yeah. Uh, there's parts of this record are a lot heavier. You know, Monster was you yeah. know recorded in the studio. It, it's heavy, but it, it's it's a pop heavy. Yeah. Uh, some of the tunes in this are actually a little more, a little more crunchy, a little more he like I said, just just heavy. There's you know additional supplemental musicians because they were playing live as well. Well, Scott Litt was their guy. At this Scott, point, Scott, right? He, I mean, he, he produced he this one too, yeah. a couple of records with him, correct? Yeah. I think this might be the, well, it's the last record that Bill Barry was on. Uh, he left the right, band yep. in, in 97. I think it's the last record they did with Scott Litt. Um, I think Up Up was the next record. Um, Which well, is so a that, great album. What's that? I loved Up. That's a great we can, album. We can talk about that later. I had yeah. to learn how to uh, like this record. It was yeah. one of those where I was just losing track with R.E.M., yeah, Good this point. is about Good that point. time. Yeah, and I have to learn to like it. So, but I, but I did like you know Ebo the Ebo the letter. I really like and uh, a couple of songs in there, but still, it's uh, not one of my faves. Not not okay. not even close. 
Yeah, but I don't, I don't on know my frame a... of mind yeah. when I'm listening to it. Good point. You know, next yeah. week I could put it on and be in a different frame of mind. Sure. And I'm like, this is fantastic. This record is fantastic. Yeah, it's, I, don't, I don't know if it's on my list of favorites, but I'm just kind of glad that I'm kind of glad I didn't get it the first time around. Yeah, but yep. that I, I do I do appreciate it for what what they were trying to do. It's it's a different side to the band in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it also shows that when they want to write a beautiful REM type song like Electrolyte, uh, they can yeah. certainly do it, and it never yeah. sounds old. Uh, it's an artistic record, without a doubt. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's got one. Of, it does have one of my favorite REM song titles of all time, and it's Binky the Doormat. <laughs> Binky the Doormat <laughs> from Shakes the Clown. Binky the Doormat. So that's why I've I've always liked Stipe because of those his references. So yeah. when I got the when I got the, the CD on the cassette, whatever, I said that's funny. He's seen Shakes the Clown as well, <laughs> the great yeah. Shakes the Clown. So I when I got the vinyl, I didn't know the whole backstory of how it was recorded. I just assumed it was all recorded in the studio. So I'm sitting there okay. now getting a vinyl. You know, it's so much easier for someone with fifty year old eyes. <laughs> to read you know so i'm sitting there looking i'm like recorded at soundcheck here recorded at sound wow all right now it's coming together all right yeah. you know if they so did this they all must on, the been on a big tour though correct it was it was the um a monster tour monster yeah. tour yeah. yeah yeah and they they their their intention was they got an eight track some other band had done this and they wanted to do i forget what band it was um did an album in a similar fashion, recording yeah. a soundtrack. So they decided to give it a whirl. Uh, it was a Radiohead. Okay. Yeah. I think I think they took that inspiration from one of their records and decided to do that. I mean, I, I think other. I mean, I think bands do record their soundtracks and stuff like that because you know they're testing out new material. Yeah. RM's, you know, idea to release it like that. And maybe it was a holding pattern thing too, but. You know, considering sure they that, have the best equipment you can get for you it, know, it was an eight track. Yeah. Yeah. It was just an eight track, though. That's the cool thing about it. They didn't want to go ultra with a twenty four track. Right. So just you're saying it was just an eight channel board? I mean, I'm sure the board has more than eight channels. Oh, I'm sure it, there's but, several yeah. boards, but I think the, yeah. the, what they went from the board into the whatever tape machine they most likely used was it was an eight eight track. Cool. I'll tell you in a right second, there at but, the yeah. venue. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Robert Criscow of all people called it folk rock jangle. Which to me sounds kind of that's like an early, that's like an early REM yeah, cliche yeah. at this point. I I didn't see any other review that he he gave to it if he did at all. But I mean, I'm not getting a whole lot of jangle on this record uh, comparatively. You know, it's ARP synthesizer and it's just you know there are different instruments. I think uh, Bill Berry plays the Ennio whistle on How the West Was Won. <laughs> that's one of the spaghetti western instruments. It was a uh, so it was done live. I don't I don't know the venues. That it was recorded at. Did it, does it list them? Whatever well, coliseums they were at. Yeah, I can give that run to you now. Sir but yes, stated. it was. So they were recording all their concerts on an eight-track <laughs> analog mm -hmm. machine, and they just recorded their sound checks. Um, the way it broke down, uh, Ebo. Let's see. I'll tell you in a second. So like Ebo, the letter was well. That's at Bad Animals. That was a. So Undertow was at yeah. the Fleet Center in Boston. Okay. Um, Leave was at the Omni Coliseum in Atlanta. Um, one was recorded in their dressing room uh, before the show. And of course, huh. since this was done on the road, the two side musicians were featured on this album because of that. Right. Uh, they had, they had, um, they had uh, yeah, and uh, the other, Nathan, Nathan December. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, what, uh, what, Scott McCoy's from what ensemble? You know? 
He's in minus. He's the minus five guy. He's the minus five guy. Okay. Yeah, and I think he was in what the Posies maybe or was something he? like that. Okay. Yeah, They're like a Seattle band or yeah. something from way back yeah. when. It, it, it was mastered by Bob Ludwig. So they, you know, it's like RM. You know, they they were they were still a big band at that point. So when that record came out, you know, when we, yeah. we were in the process of doing it, yeah. they had, you know, Warner Brothers behind them. Uh, so this was what ninety six. What year did Automatic for the People come out? Was that ninety two? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, it was. Yeah, Automatic for the People came out in ninety two. I think Monster came out in ninety four. So this was the record after that. Ninety six. This album came out. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting though, it's all their equipment on this world tour. So it's you know it's their board, it's their tape, it's their machine, it's everything that yeah. gets carted along with them everywhere they go. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think they enjoyed recording it too. I said it, it was fun for them, and you know, yeah, you, know yeah. you know, the the monster tour was fraught with near tragedies because yeah, everyone except yeah. Peter Buck got sick. You know, Bill Berry had an yep. aneurysm on stage in Switzerland. So this what was, happened you know, to Michael Stipe for... and uh, the other guys? What happened to them? Uh, Stipe had a hernia, I think. Oh, and Bill. Um, Mike Mills had some kind of intestinal blockage. Probably from flying too many airplanes. Too much pressurized cabin. Too much pressurization. <laughs> yeah. But it's only, I think it's only sold about 7 million records in total. So it's a, it wasn't a smash record. I don't know what REM's sales are, you know, at their top. I think Automatic for, I think automatic for the People was their peak sales record, I think. Well, and that's my favorite album of theirs. Yeah, guys can I, I listen to it. that now. I listened to it the other day. I, I, I like it better. It was not a favorite of mine. I, I wanted to. I wanted to hear Monster by the time they did uh, Automatic for the People. But there's some beautiful songs. There's some great songwriting on that. And they hung on for 15 more years after that yeah. because it's yeah. just they. I like the fact that they don't give a shit. It's this is where we're at. This is what we're gonna do. If it doesn't sell yeah. like the other one, so what? You yeah, know, it's I, still it, a it, piece it, of work. It's an art. Right. Yeah. It's always a disappointment too. You know, they have. You know, they're on Warner Brothers, so. You know, if the thing, you know, that was considered their, you know, the beginning of their decline in America anyway. But they delivered uh, their records to Warner Brothers. So, oh, yeah. You know, they honored their contract. Yep. I, th I think they were a victim of they got so big that it had to come down. Like, they were the huge. So, at some point, uh, you know, they, they you're not the thing anymore. Because there was a lot yeah. of Fairweather fans when they did Losing My Religion. They yeah, yeah. Loved them for those couple albums and yeah. then moved on. Um, right. So and, you and also the musical things. What was going on in America in '96 was, you know, you know, we've done these retrospectives on milk crates and turntables, where it's like a lot of the hip hop and a lot of the R&B was starting to dominate the charts at that point. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. was grunge grunge on the way it was out. Grunge period. Nah, it was it a grunge was period. There. Yeah, but uh, R&B they, they, they were cool with the grunge people. Grunge was a fad. But yeah, you it, know, it's it's, yeah. it's a good point because. It was if a you sound. look at every band in the gr the grunge, we had to say it with because it was kind of coined by the record industry. Mm -hmm. Soundgarden do not sound like Nirvana, who don't sound like Pearl Jam. They all sound different. In fact, the only yeah. band I think that really sounded grungy was probably Soundgarden. That to me, they had a Sabbath sound. That's yeah. to me, it's what grunge is. But none of these bands, like if they all sounded the same, but yeah, what killed grunge too is they manufactured bands. Well, yeah. think about where punk came from, right? Punk yeah. was you know whatever you want to call it. Then it became about fashion. Yeah. Same thing with grunge. Grunge started becoming about fashion. It was about flannel it, shirts. It was right, about the return right, of the flannel yeah. shirt. You, you were dressing right, down right. from the hairband years. I mean, when, when you know, when it was, the, it was tougher music. I mean, when they sell grunge clothes, I mean, you know, it's a fact. I remember walking into Macy's and seeing a flannel shirt for like 60 bucks. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I used to buy them in Kmart for like freaking $8. Yeah. You know? 
and the boots, you know, and all that. Uh, yeah. One movie was right, made though right. about the grunge movement that I really liked. It was Singles. Remember that movie? That was a and that was a good yeah, soundtrack. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but uh, and that was Citizen when it was Dick. commercial. They made a movie about it. So yeah, yeah. we're big in Belgium. Yeah, and they even had right. some grunge musicians <laughs> in the movie. Eddie Citizen Vedder Dick. and right and uh, oh, whoever yeah. else. Uh, Pearl Jam were in it as Matt Dillon's uh, band, Citizen Dick, and uh, Eddie was, was, was Pearl Jam. I think. We're yeah, big in Pearl Belgium. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're number one in Belgium. That was a great line because how many bands I met during like when, especially the metal oh, years, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. we have an album out in, um, uh, in, in Argentina. It hit, uh, it's up there. It's up there. We get, we get letters. I'm like, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> and, <laughs> every, every LA metal band that hadn't made it, we, we were rehearsing an abandoned warehouse. Right, right. Acoustically, yeah. there's no electricity yeah. in it. No yeah, of course, you just you squatted in an abandoned warehouse. That just became the, the story. You know, the, the yep. cliche well, story. Nickelback were able to make a video in a warehouse without electricity. I mean, they're amazing. You know, there's Nickelback <laughs> and there's other mortals. <laughs> so, hey, so what's the consensus uh, on New Adventures and Hi Fi? It's a, I think, I, I call it really good record. I mean, really good. I mean, mm. I, I might think it's great next year. Um, I listened Correct. to it again, t- again right. today, but. You know that that's that's a record you really got. I mean, REM records are, are pleasing on the ear in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, Automatic for the people has some beautiful songs on it. Even in Monster Two is you know that was their grunge record, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But the songs are extremely tuneful. But this stuff is more dense. It's just like I said, it's just a little, it's deeper, it's a little heavier. But yeah, at that point, well, the thing is with me is on this record, New Adventures in Hi-Fi. I, I didn't really have any go-to songs on it. You know what okay. I mean? In all R.E.M. records, I have go-to songs. Okay. And they're like, yeah, this is going to get me into the record. And this one, kind of, they lacked those kind of go-to songs for me. Okay. For, for me, I it's mean, got like two. I said, next time I listen to it, it's going to be their best album ever. Right. If you keep that screen up there, the first track and the last track are extreme go-to re- uh, songs for me. Low Desert. Uh, uh, no, uh, How the West Was Won and Where It Got Us and Electrolyte. I just, now I for me, I, yeah. it's leave. I think leave is a that's a great song, excellent yeah. song. Yeah, um, but I agree. I agree with you, Perry. It there was no song, and that's why I let it go for years. Like there was no song that popped out. And the yeah, first single, yeah. I, I thought Ebo was a horrible single to release, but I do you know, too. Whatever, it's one know. of the best songs on the record, actually. <laughs> I, I like it. it. Just, I, I did not like it then. I didn't like Drive either. See, I yeah. love Drive. That I got me into like automatic I, for the people. It did. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I was um, just like, eh, I don't know, but, but, yeah, and that's and the great like thing about today, a great band. Yeah, today yeah. I listened in the car, and it was evolving. A couple, of, yeah. a couple of these songs did come out to me. Bittersweet Me just pumped out, like, it yep. stood out to me as a great song. So yeah, like I said, we all may next year say it's a great album, best album ever. Yep, <laughs> best album. I don't, ever, I don't think that. I don't think that'll happen. But so, Mark, you you got the vinyl version. Yeah, is it a double album? On yeah. vinyl, so it is. It was. It was never originally issued on vinyl. So now with the vinyl thing going, they're reissuing a lot of albums that never did come out in vinyl. But the one good thing, they're putting them on very heavyweight vinyl, not mm. like in the '80s when records got cheap. You could they were like yeah, frisbees, yeah. you know. Right. So they, they by putting like three songs on each side, you get you can make the volume higher, you know, and the sounds better. So yeah, and it, it really like 
I was disappointed when I first played it because this first song is in the studio. It has a nice sound. And then the soundcheck songs, I'm like, oh, it sounds so grungy. That's what I said, grungy, you know? <laughs> but then when you assess it and you go, I'm listening to an eight track recorded at a soundcheck. Yeah. They don't have 10 microphones yeah. by the drums capturing the cymbals. You know, they're not doing that. So then you get, you know, you get well, that, I, that frame of I, mind. I'm curious about that. I mean, I, I would think it's a full setup. No. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they run us but, through the board, the big board. Yeah. Then it gets but, relayed to a smaller. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. no. What I was reading up on it, they just had mics on stage for those. They were recording right. It wasn't coming off the soundboard. Oh, that's, that's right. These are sound checks. These aren't yeah. the shows, right? Yeah. 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 So they weren't coming right. out. It's not a live album. Right. So I get, you know, again, and then I've, I think I told you, Perry, a while back, I used to, on the early shows I was on, I used to rail against who's next. Oh, there's no highs. I've reassessed yeah, my right. opinion of that. It doesn't need to have tons of highs to be good. It doesn't. So, okay. And Peter Buck's guitar sounds great, crunchy on some of those songs. Yeah. One of their outtakes is in a movie. Uh, it's called Revolution. It's on the Batman and Robin soundtrack. There was an outtake <laughs> from New Adventures? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was, I think there's a couple. Like some, One of the B-sides, I forgot, the Tricycle is not on the song listing that, that we've seen here. So, but I guess maybe some of the B sides were different, you know, were just additions. Yeah. 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 So, so folks, new adventures in hi-fi. It's a, it's a record worth checking out. Absolutely. And in the age of Spotify, you can check it out before you buy it. If you have Spotify, yeah, yeah. you know, but I, and glad it looks I got like, it. uh, REM new adventures in hi-fi. Yeah. <laughs> not Wi-Fi. Like they're they're using the word hi-fi is kind of funny. There uh, looks like a desert shot. Yeah, in the cover. Black and white. I used to think it was a play on the the sound, but then I realized now it's just the way I think it <laughs> refers to the way they record it. New adventures, you know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, what do you cool. guess? I I'm just gonna say six out of ten right now. I'm giving it. Okay, I, I think that right. I think that's a about accurate. Yeah. It's maybe a, sometimes it's a domino veers into a seven, drops down to six, maybe that kind of thing for me. But yeah, it's it's definitely it's not a top five REM album for me by any stretch. But now Perry gave me a copy of the next album up, and I fell in love with that album on first listen. Love What's it. the next album up? Did you? up. Up is it called up? Oh, oh up, oh, yeah. Oh. That's All the way that's to the, Reno. The, the, the oh, first yeah. one. Oh, yeah. No, okay. no, that, that that's on uh, reveal. Oh, reveal. Although, I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Reveal was a record after Up. Reveal was okay. good. I, yeah, you gave me that copy too. And I'm, at, at first mm -hmm. listen, I'm like, this is a great record. It's a great record. And I was not a big fan of Up. Like, you know, RM is, is a trio. They started to have, they actually had drum machines on it, well, which was kind of different, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, well no. that was the thing, you know, they, they were, Bill Berry's departure was big for them. That was a big loss. Yeah. Yeah. So they got a great drummer. Um, who died? Who was the replacement that toured with him? Uh, Bill Reiflin. And I saw uh, him. Well, I, actually, was, uh, uh, Joey Wallenker played on, um, he played on Reveal. Maybe okay. something, but Bill Reiflin was a long-time drummer after that. He's on the last yeah. records. He sadly passed away a couple of years yeah. ago. Yeah, he did. Um, uh, great drummer, lucky, too. lucky to see him with that triple drummer thread of uh, King Crimson. Oh, yeah. He was the center drummer. It was great That's to right. see him. So, all right. Well. Moving on, Perry, I understand you might have some trivia to make me oh, look. Oh, yeah. I've got trivia right here in front of me. Make me look trivia. so smart. Uh, COVID sucks, right, Mark? 
it sucks. I just noticed that on your tech. We're just glad earlier. that you're able to talk and you're not laying in bed and you know. Yeah, thank God you got a. Three three years ago, I would I would have been scared. I would have gotten the, the heaping portion, but I don't envy anyone. Okay, Perry. So in 1982, Columbus sailed at, the ocean blue at the Grammy Awards. Back in the 80s, I guess this is when MTV really kicked into gear. They actually had a category at the Grammys for Music Video of the Year. Hmm. Now, in the in the Grammys in 1982, Q, Quincy Jones, won five awards. <laughs> the song of the year was Betty Davis' Eyes. Was it really? The album of the year was Double Fantasy by John and Yoko. Okay. And so the question is, who won? Who was awarded the first ever Grammy for Music Video of the Year in 1982? It was a brand new category. I don't know if they still have it now. They may have lost, left it. But in 1982 at the Grammys, they had a category, Music Video of the Year. Who was awarded that video, that, uh, 80, that award? In, in 82? In 1982. So Thriller came out in 83, right? I think. Well. I'm just going to ask right off. Was it Michael Jackson? Can you say yes or no to that? No, no. Okay. No, was not. This is somebody I, who I was think... artistic and really in on the video thing in the early days. Really had a vision and knew what it was going to become. Peter Gabriel? No. That's too early for his that kind of yep. recognition for him. Michael Nesmith, Elephant Parts. Really? Oh. Yeah. Never, never guessed that. Wow. Yep. Wow. There was a thing, it was like a hour long video or something. It was just, you know, goofing around with video and like he knew what it was going to become. Yeah. Wow. Yep. When, what he didn't like in the editing, he just put white out on it. Just kind of... <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, would, that would never happen again after that period because once NTV became big, it's something yeah. quirky like that. You know, there wouldn't be another dog police. Well, they came so, up with their own award you know. show, but this was actually a Grammy. For, yeah. Like, Grammy, yeah. That's a strange. I'm sure they bagged that category. They don't even have it anymore. You yeah. know who knows? Who watches the Grammys anyway? Who played saxophone on the Beatles song? You know, you know my name. Look up the number. It was a B side of uh, "Let It right. Be" or one something of, like that. One of my maybe. favorite songs. You Welcome know the Schlagers. Yes. Yeah, right. Who played saxophone on the Beatles song? You know my name. Look up the number. David Bowie. John Lennon. Do, 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 do. Brian Jones. Oh. oh, yeah. Wow. Beautiful yep. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, what was the first album printed with lyrics on it? Sgt. Pepper. Tapestry, Carol King. Lou's got it. Sgt. Oh, Pepper. Yeah. Sausage and first Pepper. Lyrics on the back. First time ever. Yeah. Yep, sausage and peppers. We're sausage and peppers. Okay, got another one. Cool. Um, this one's a little long-winded. There's a songwriter. Can you name the songwriter who is also an author and a playwright? He has written songs that have been recorded by Blake Shelton, Dolly Parton, Barbara Streisand, Judy Collins, Britney Spears. Barry Manilow, just to name a few. Wow. He's a, He's songwriter, a songwriter, and a, and very a famous songwriter. He once wrote a song about an alcoholic beverage, and he also wrote a song about cannibalism. 
Tom Waits. I'm going with Tom Waits, too. Lou, you know this. You just can't think of it. Well, Rupert Holmes. Cannibalism. Oh, Pina Colada song. That's not about and he wrote that song, Tim, about cannibalism. Somebody in a, like fell down a mine in a cave and they I don't know. <laughs> eaten one of the guys. He was a playwright? And Yeah, he wrote a play and he's also an author. He, uh, yeah. Well, His he, real name he, is David Goldstein, Rupert Holmes. Okay. Well, he also yeah. does, he, he does Broadway or musical. When well, you said yeah. Tim, yeah, he had a song called Him also. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Found out about him, him. Yeah. Okay. What's she going to do about him? I have him? two questions Ugh. about Paul McCartney. What was Paul McCartney's biggest radio hit? Biggest radio hit. I'm not talking sales. We're talking his biggest radio hit. Well, what's the difference, what's the, what's the difference between a biggest radio hit and sales? Playing, we're, playing we're, radio. Well, listen, the radio listen, doesn't yeah. care how much it sells. The radio says people love it. We're going to keep playing it and playing it. Yeah, they could. I'm going to say okay. let them in. I'm going to say Mall of Kintyre. Okay. It was 1976. You're both wrong, but we'll give you another guess. Think 76. about Paul McCartney in 1976. Yeah, His biggest radio hit. It was number one for five weeks straight. Silly love songs. Probably right. I mean, I can't think of it. It's, it has to be from that. Mark, album. you're on, man. It's Silly Love Songs. It was number one for five weeks in 1976. That and Let Him In was always on the radio when I was like six yeah. years old. Yeah. Yeah. I knew Silly Love Songs was big. I didn't think it was. That. Yeah, boom, 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 John boom, Lennon boom, used to make fun of him for that, yeah. but you know what? Until he kind of became a little cheesy too. You know. <laughs> all right, here's the, this is going to be. Uh, can you name? All right, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Number one, McCartney's hit. Paul McCartney I hits. Love you. Now, can you name at least three of them? And no, no duets. None of the Stevie Wonder stuff. None of this Michael Jackson stuff. Say, say, say. None of that. These are just Paul McCartney or Paul McCartney and Wings. Number so, one songs. Can you name three of three out of the six? Not counting the uh, Silly Love Song. Was that a number one? That was number one. Yeah, that's one of them. Okay. Yep. How about Coming Up? Yeah. I love that song. No. 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 Nope. Uh, Silly Love Songs. Got that was checked off. Was, was it Frozen die? Jap? No. <laughs> no. Not living let die. Nope. Oh, Uncle I'm Uncle Halsey. I'm uh, Uncle Albert. That's yes, number Albert. two. Uncle That's Albert Admiral Halsey. Yep. One of my favorite number songs. One? Wow. Yep. That was a number one. Yeah, maybe uh, in like nineteen seventy one. Yeah. And like my love. Oh yeah. Lou, you just grabbed another one. You got you got all right. Now the guitar player on my love, I think it's Henry McCulloch. McCullough. Well, Paul played it on the studio rec. Paul, no, no. Jimmy McCulloch only played it live. No, no not, not Jimmy on, on my love. It's another McCulloch. There was a Henry McCulloch. He's not, a drummer, wasn't he? No, no. Henry McCulloch was another guitar player. Right. It, but on was, on the record. Not on my love. It's not. It's not. On the record. It's Paul it's McCartney's a, first solo record. He made it at home. But my love isn't on that. That's on like Red Rose Speedway. Okay. But uh, it was one of those guitar solos where... Paul couldn't didn't dictate the guitar player to play exactly what Paul wanted. The guy told oh, Paul, okay, let me it, do yeah. this. Just let me do this, you egomaniac. And... Okay, hey, guys, don't go Ringo fight. on me. What's that? All right, so we got three of them. There's one 
two, three more. Number one hits by Paul McCartney or Paul McCartney and Wings. And Wings. Yeah. Band on the run. Bingo. There's another one. That's a great record. Two more. Number one hits. Uh, ooh, 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 ooh. One of them was mid-1970s. The other one might have been around 1979 or 80. Bluebird? I'm a bluebird. I'm a bluebird. Listen to what the man said. Oh, you, you are right on, man. <laughs> you are right on. There's one left. Even with one COVID. One number one song by Paul one, McCartney. Or and Paul you're thinking McCartney maybe 79 left. or 80? Uh, oh, with a little luck. Holy shit. How the fuck did you get that, dude? In, in my sickness, I'm channeling. With a little luck. It's a great, that's a great song. Skyward. Yeah. Uh, so many keyboards. I, 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 mean, I love Paul McCartney. <laughs> I mean, it's just Me stupid too. to say that. But, you know, you think about it. Like, all, the, all the people, that, a lot of us have mentioned, Perry, Mark, Mike, you, yeah. uh, me, and uh, Scott McLean. We all think that John Lennon's solo work was, just, was probably the spottiest. Him and George had this, you know, until, but George yeah. has two masterpieces. Uh, yeah. All things must pass, and Cloud Nine I think is a George masterpiece. And right, an I have amazing, one more question. Amazing comeback. Oh, by the one way, by question. the way, yes, yes. Uh, Henry McCullough was the lead guitarist on that on My Love. On My Love. Yeah, and Denny Sewell. Denny Sewell's a drummer. Yeah. Oh, you know what I'm thinking about? Paul McCartney's first record. Maybe I'm amazed. He yeah. played the lead guitar yeah. on that, and on yeah. Wings oh, yeah. Over America, it was Jimmy McCullough. Jimmy yeah. McCullough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the I, way, if I, never hear that, if I never hear that song again, I'll be happy. It's just to me, it's just yeah. so <laughs> Well, actually, way, I, that's it. I have no more trivia. Okay, uh, okay. I, I, about, I got some trivia about Wings, though. If you got uh, the drummer yeah. Joe English, yeah, yeah, uh, he lives in North Carolina. He joined a religious cult Ooh, that was yeah. investigated. Oh my God, these allegations of child abuse, abusing women, can mind control of women. Some t- he's not too far wow. from here. Because <laughs> uh, I, I read about Wings and all the other people. You know, Jimmy McCullough died young. Henry McCullough, I don't know what happened to him, or mm-hmm. Denny Sewell. But then I look up Joe English because, you know, he was a, like a jazz drummer. But he thought the McCartney gig was kind of musically beneath him. Wow. Because I was just laying down a backbeat. But, you know, some of the drumming is actually pretty creative. Uh, Joe was. English on uh, Wings at the Speed of Sound. Paul was trying to dispel the myths that he was the taskmaster and he was in control. Mm-hmm. So everyone got a lead vocal. So yeah. Joe English sang a song called uh, Must Do Something About It. That's a really great song. It's a great vocal. Mm. And Paul Paul heard him singing it during an off moment during recording. He goes, you sing it. You know? But only one. Yeah. Don't sing it better than me. Well, all right. Well, well all right. I want to take this opportunity to say uh, RIP yep. about Denny Lane. We lost him this week. Yeah. Very suddenly. Wasn't expected. Speaking of he wings. Was, yeah. yeah. Also, he looked, uh, he looked good with that double neck, didn't he? On uh, Wings Over America. Yeah. He looked cool, you know. <laughs> Oh, by the way, cheers to Shane McGowan. Uh, yeah. He's crossed over to the other side. Yep. 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 So. Yeah. Uh, Denny Lane, you know, we know was a original member of the Moody Blues. And I didn't know that until I read his obituary. Okay. I didn't well, know you that. Know the song yeah. Go that, was, that was kind of a hit. He didn't write that, though. That was an old cover from the 50s. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. People it, think he a, wrote it's, that song. It's a great song. <laughs> it's a great yeah. vocal. It's, that's before, you know, they, they got poetic as the Moody Blues. Yeah. Yep. We've asked this before. They're in the, uh, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right? Who? The Wings? Mo- uh, the, the Moody Blues. Moody Blues? I don't know uh, if they are. Uh, you know what? Not sure. 
Perry, sure. Perry's wearing a Waffle House T-shirt. That's crazy. That was Raffle House. I was ready to buy a ticket. That was Raffle House. So. I love I love Waffle House. There's none up here. No, it's a, it's a Southern thing. My first taste of Southern hospitality was Perry, Tom Griffin, and myself doing a road trip to Florida, and we stopped at a Waffle House. I, I got my first taste of that Southern hospitality. Like, wow, you're really nice. And no, my first taste of uh, Southern yeah, and- hospitality was low. Right. By your by in Bernardsville, that little uh, breakfast place you took me to, I had I think it was oh, yeah. eggs with mayonnaise or eggs with butter or whatever yeah, on uh, white both. bread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the that that was the D and D. I used to go there for pancakes. It was a cool little. I love those little places. And then it was Sheena's down the road, which was like more of a lunch place. But you know, the Sheena burger was pretty damn good. I like. We drove up. We get out of the car, and everyone looks at me with my long hair. <laughs> And the whole place just quieted down. And I'm like, <laughs> it's definitely ah, a good old boy. It's a good old boy, old, yeah, old school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Screw that. Could have been worse you know, if it, it had an English accent. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, you know, these myths about parts of the rural South. The gas station before that uh, was owned by an Indian family. No one ever said anything. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's, but but uh, yeah, there have been places, you know, like you said, you, you're coming, you, they, they know you're not from around there. Yeah. <laughs> When I lived up in Warwick before I was recording the Edenville CD, you know, I had my head shaved down. So I was going to eat. I was staying at the drummer's house. I was separated from my wife. So I was looking for a place to live. So I was going to this breakfast place every morning. And right in front of all these people, the waitress comes up. She goes, are you a white supremacist? I'm like, <laughs> do I say yes? Because then I get killed here? Because I'm not. Because you had a crew cut? It was even, no, it was, it was buzzed down. It wasn't even a crew cut. But uh, I said, I'm not. She goes, well, there's an apartment. She goes, you're looking for a place to live. You know, it's just kind of a weird thing where... You're definitely the fish out of water. <laughs> Warwick looks like northern New Jersey now. Everybody moved up there because it's cheaper. Yeah. So, yep. Um, I got I know friends up there. So anyway, Lou, when you were talking about REM, <clears throat> uh, you reminded me of, I told you guys like about six months ago on a show that I was going into an REM deep dive. And because I didn't, I'm really not up on the earliest stuff so i was i know oh, okay. that's how you guys got into rem sure, yeah yeah and um you you made this comment that i always remembered all the albums are good except for around the sun yeah and uh and and up. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of up yeah well when i hear that when i hear any fan of a band talk about an album not being good i'm instantly <laughs> curious to hear it i want to okay. hear what's now when i used to go to town and country music in westwood I would get the 399 albums thinking, why is it 399? I always had this fascination with why is this considered not that good? You know, and you do find some gems when you do that. But um, I compiled a list of most hated albums or worst albums, according to fans, not critics. Critics, forget them. When critics hate an album, I usually like it. Mm -hmm. And so I did a little list here. And these are albums that I know. And I'm going to say the album. And then this is all my opinion. I'm going to say, was it warranted to be hated by the fans? And what do I think of it? I'm going to say. So um, I'm going to start off with the REM around the sun, because the last two weeks I've been playing a lot of REM and I saved this and I said, I got to listen to this. All right. I listened to it. I have to admit, I couldn't make it all the way through. Doesn't mean I didn't <laughs> like it, but it was, you know, a little low key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I finished it and I played it a couple of times and then I read all the fans reactions was it warranted? I got to say, yeah, because as Michael Stipe himself said, it had good songs. It just never got completed. Hmm. To me, it sounds okay. like REM light. There's nothing, there's no yeah. angst in the lyric, in the singing. 
it's like, yes, they're going through the motions, but there is some good songs in there, some really good songs. Mm-hmm. Um, what, year, what year did it come out? 2004. 2000. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's, what was the record before that? Was it Reveal? Um, you know, uh, I'm not sure. So you're saying even when they're disinterested in making a record, they still made a record, though, right? It's just sounded uninspired. They're very. It's a very smooth album. There's no, even like all right. So they went through that whole acoustic thing, right, where Peter Buck wasn't playing electric, but they Mm -hmm. still had fire. There was still very, you know, it was very intense. Their stuff. Michael Stipe, he's got he brings angst into a lot of stuff, and it's just it was very like uh, that's what I got from it. Um, even the production is very soft, you know, it's so almost the, like they're so they looking to make an that. album that would appeal to, to people that don't want to hear anything too hard or too, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but to I me, liked I, it. I, I, I like, I think it's a band that's missing the inspiration of a member that left. That was an important, really important member. Yeah. yeah. That band. You know, Bill yeah. Berry, besides just being a great drummer and yeah. part of, he, he wrote a shit ton of really great songs with them, you know? Yeah. But I they didn't know that. This, was this where they were going into their sort of drum machine phase? And uh, yeah, well, that, that, after after New Adventures in Hi Fi, Bill Berry quit. So mm-hmm. the next album up was the, the three piece, and they didn't want to just be a rock band. Let's get a drummer. I think they decided to say, "Hey, who yeah. are the three of us, and what what can we do?" Let's I go think... in this direction. Right now, Bill yeah. Berry, in, in all graciousness, and maybe he really does believe this or said that, he goes, "It took me leaving the band for them to make their best record." <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, it's probably like a morale booster, you know. Um, so up reveal. Oh, so actually, oh wait, so around the yeah, sun reveal came, came out. out before it, and then they the didn't do another album. And, yeah, and then they didn't do another album until Accelerate, which is a superb album. It really is. It really is. That, that's with Bill Reiflin on drums. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Perry it's funny, so I couldn't stop it, talking. Mark, about so that you, album. you brought up this this record that you didn't like, though. Right? No, no, no. I was saying Ooh. albums that I hear people don't like. Like, that's their worst album ever, right? Right, right, right. And I go on right. like Amazon and I read some of the reviews, the worst REM album. It oh, sucks. Okay. And you get people that like. Right. So I listen to these albums and I give my mm-hmm. opinion, like what I think. Well, but okay. I also think that they were warranted criticism from their fans because they really didn't put out their best album. They kind of yeah. limped well, through it, tiptoed through it. Uh, it wasn't like let's face. Someone plunks down money for that album. They weren't getting a fully invested, vested REM album. They could have done much better. Yep. I, I think it was a period too for Stipe where yeah, there's a song "Leaving New York" on it. He was like two mm-hmm. or three blocks away from 11, the, the Twin Towers when they got hit. And I do think yeah. that was there was an impact. You know, it's like you know that's you know impacted us all. But I really do think that was something. You know, also inspiration. Reveal was a very inspired record. I think it was a return to form yeah. for REM. Yeah. And so that was, you know, th- th- that was a bump. But then, like you said, four years later, they do the next album, Reveal, which to me was a great record. Yeah. Probably wasn't a good time for them to do an album, but they got to get in the suit. Who knows? The record label says we need an album, you know? Well, sure. So, yeah. I mean, the, I don't know what their contractual obligation to Warner Brothers was. Five albums, yeah. ten albums, you know, you got to be signing that dotted line. You got to do what you got to do. And some, but, some yeah, of these albums. With, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. A band with that integrity, they were no. No, for having integrity in what they did. So yeah. I think they try, probably tried to make the best record they could. Yeah. But... Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and some of these, a lot of these albums, I'm going to say, some of them were caused by like record labels saying we need an album, you know. Uh, next up, an album called Time by Fleetwood Mac came out in 1995. Universally panned, Mick Fleetwood in his autobiography said, we, I never should have done this. What happened was Stevie Nicks was out, Lindsey Buckingham was out. <laughs> 
So he recruited Dave Mason and Becca Bramlett, daughter Dave of Mason. Uh, Delany, Delany hmm. Bramlett. I listened to it and I understand it was justified why everyone hated it. Because why the hell did Fleetwood Mac make a? I mean, why did Mick Fleetwood make a Fleetwood Mac album right. without those two? Um, right, it should right, have been right. Mac Mac uh, Mason <laughs> or something, you know. But well, it's got good songs on it. I like it. But I understand why it was their poorest selling album. It didn't even chart. Like it didn't. You couldn't see it. It, did, it okay. hit one hundred. It yeah. didn't chart this at all. A bad idea. Yeah. That was ninety five. Yeah, that was ninety five. Yeah. And uh, like I said, Dave Mason has two good songs on there. He always comes up with a good song. Who is he? Know? Yeah. Well, we know who he is, but Traffic. he's one of those guys too. I mean, he's kind of on the fringes of things. He was always popular. You know, you heard had a big uh, was radio. What hit. was his big? What was his big right? hit? There ain't no good guy. Yeah. But he there also wrote no on, good guys. It's only yeah. you and me, and we just disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he also wrote only oh. you know and I know. Only you know and I yeah. know. That's He's in traffic with Delaney yeah. and Bonnie here. Right? He was in traffic. Yeah. So there was a good story about that. Uh, Dave Mason is notoriously hard to work with. I think he was in traffic for like two months when he rejoined him. He was only there for two months. Evidently, the guy isn't easy to work with. And when Fleetwood Mac were touring, Becca Bramlett, who has a loud mouth started fighting with Dave Mason because she was mad about him smoking cigars on the tour bus. And he was always telling her about his little escapades with women. And she was like, uh -huh. shut up. So she called her dad and she's like, you know, say I'm yelling at Dave, mate. You know, I'm yelling at you. And his dad said, her dad said, um, don't, don't yell at Dave. Just leave it alone. Obviously he knew something like he has a temper or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but, What's uh, her name? Becca Bramlett. Becca Bramlett. She, she, she's the one that's married to, uh, um, Butch, uh, Butch, uh, Derek Trucks, right? No, no, that's the guitar player. Um, I can't remember her name. Susan Tedeschi. Yeah, that's who he's. That's that's to who. Get. Okay. Yeah. But okay. Becca is the daughter of Delany. There, there's a great Elvis Costello story with them too. <laughs> oh no! Bar. Yeah, great bar drug. He got away with that. <laughs> you want to tell it? Way. Now I, I could have been. In, I could have played in traffic at one point. You know why? Why? Because my dad always used, to, always used to say to me, well, go play in traffic. <laughs> da -dun -dun. But, um, oh, Jesus, I don't have this stuff lined up yet. I'm, I'm really trying here, man. There you go. There folks. you go. Okay, right. moving on. <laughs> yeah, what's another Van, album that you hate? Then, oh, yeah, it's, I gotta it's, get not the, it's not what Mark hates. Mark has a no, couple of haters. This on is there, not it's... albums I hate. These are albums that that were panned by fans. That fans. Okay. Said, well, let's not use the word hate fans. then. Let's not use the word hate. But These they're hated albums. They really are. They're hated albums. Disliked. They're disliked. Okay. They're hated I like that. albums. I like that. All right. Here, here's a hated that's album. That's very Perry. holistic, Perry. <laughs> Listen, Van Halen three, not their third album, but their third lineup. Yeah, yeah. We got Gary Sharon in the band. Mm -hmm. They put out an album that number one was recorded very sludgy, and um. Poor Gary Sharon, because not all the songs are terrible. There's some good stuff in there, but should have been a Eddie Van Halen solo yeah. album. It shouldn't have been a Van Halen album. Mm -hmm. I understand that he didn't even let he only let Michael Anthony play bass on two songs. He plays mm -hmm. bass on the rest of it. Already he was kicking Michael out of the band. Wow. Fans hated it. Mm -hmm. Deserved. Do I like it? It's probably the most un, it's my most disliked album in their catalog, but it's got that song yeah. Without You, which was a monster single. That was a really good song. But, I think that's the one I couldn't listen to. I just it was just was so one I heard. it was so alien. It was, it was like, yeah, that's not that bad. Well Gary Sharon's an acquired I should taste. listen to His that. His voice again. is a little uh he struggles yeah. to hit high notes, you know. 
But um, it's got some. I, I thought he was one of those operatic there. singers. I thought he was one of those guys. Uh, you've extreme. You've heard their stuff. He kind of hits the notes. I know that. Really I know that hit high. song. I know the ballad. Yeah, yeah. So the words. They should have got Sebastian Bach to sing instead of Gary <laughs> Sharon. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that would be even more hated. <laughs> okay, next up, U two pop. This album was derided by their fans because it had a lot of techno influence on it, and it had mm-hmm. a lot of beats and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, was it warranted? Nah, I think the fans should have given them a chance because bands get trapped in what they're doing and they were just trying to look for something to do. Mm. I always love this album. It's a sleeper of their catalog, but the song Mofo is heavy. If you turn it up, it is heavy with the techno. I just, yeah. And, uh, uh, so it was different. There, you know, people weren't ready for Bono to be incorporating that stuff, but they, right, they yeah. were, were there any out. like noteworthy singles from that album? Mo, uh, what, what year was deck? that? Okay. 97. Do you remember some yeah. disco tech? Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a U2 fan, so I didn't mind some of that latter stuff. Yeah. I thought, you know, others like, neither did I. Yeah. Others pre- pretty clever, some good pop songs. And I got, I, I got tired I got, of I got the anthemic U2. Yeah. That's what kind of turned I, I, me I, away I from them. Yeah. Although, you know, I listened to the Joshua Tree uh, a couple months back for the album I like. I least like. I just can't I, listen to it. There, there, like I said, I told Scott, I said, side one, I was cool with side two. Up until I forgot what, what song, Red Mining, Red Hill Mining Town, or whatever yeah. it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said. Otherwise, I said, yeah, it's it's been played out. That's what it is. It's like Boston, you know. Yeah. I, I like the unforgettable. I like I like the unforgettable fire better. Yeah, that's a great album. But my favorite's Actoon Baby. Actoon Baby. Uh, next Wings, up, Baby. <laughs> Metallica and Lou Reed, Lulu. Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> yeah. It was. It should. It was definitely warranted for fans to not like it and. No, I should say I did not. I tried. I tried. I gave it a chance. I'm like, and I understand Metallica. These guys are stuck. They're considered How the hard. Did Zeppelin. you try hard? <laughs> I tried real hard. Oh, Harry. I tried real hard. <laughs> um, Metallica are funny. They're called the Led Zeppelin of the generation. They're not Led Zeppelin. They have one sound and they're trapped in that. They can never do anything different. So I kind of feel like they wanted to try to do something different, you know? And I think Lars yeah, Ulrich lives up to his reputation as not being an amazing drummer, but you know, it, yeah, it's where yeah, I heard of one of their songs recently, and it, and it wasn't one of the hits. But he's not overplaying. Yeah, yeah, you know. Well, I've got some zeitgeist too on random. When I think you just mentioned Lars, yeah, okay, Lars. Okay, moving on. Ne- Deep Purple, come taste the band. Richie Blackmore was out. Tommy Bolin was in that. on guitar. Mm-hmm. Any purple fans say because it's not Blackmore on the album that they don't like it. It's got the funky sound. Um, it was right, a different yeah. kind of funky than Stormbringer. Um, and people should be reminded that Steve Morse lasted longer in Deep Purple than Richie Blackmore, and they put out a lot of albums with him, and they were good. Right. Uh, but warranted by the fans, yeah, I can understand. David Coverdale took over the band, and he wasn't the original. You know, he wasn't part of the Mark II that was popular. I it, it can justify that band, fans didn't like it. Do I like it? Yeah, I like it. It's got a unique sound to it. It was their yeah. cocaine yeah. album. You could t- <laughs> you could just tell they were doing everything when they recorded. Yeah. You know, their fans are entitled to the. I mean, look at look at the Deep Purple thing, right? After Ian Gillan and David Glover were out, Roger Glover yeah. were out. Who comes in? Glenn, uh, what's his name? Glenn Hughes. Glenn Hughes and I'm Dave based. Coverdale. Yeah. Now two lead singers. They, yeah. Right, but. Other people like no 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 that's not but Richie Blackmore was still on fire. I mean, 
the riff yeah. in that song burn is killer yeah, burn was a killer, killer album. Richie blackmore riff yeah killer album yeah richie yeah. was still and Ian it. gillen could have sung that song so they yeah. just drifted right to drifted yeah. over burn was yeah. burn was really good it was kind of like a fifty-one fifty from Van Halen, where you had new blood in the band. Everybody was getting along for that moment, mm-hmm. so the vibes were good. They came up with great songs. And after that, it kind of went out. Uh, there were some funky songs on Burn too, but uh, yeah. yeah. So come taste the band. Like I said, it's it's just a, it's a quirky album in their career. Tommy Boland died like not really not long after that. Um, so and he was good. I have recordings of him from that period playing with Deep Purple. Unfortunately, he was doing so much heroin that his arm was messed up and he couldn't even play some gigs, so they turned mm. up his guitar effects to cover. That's what you're, that you're supposed to shoot into your groin at that point. I think it yeah, right. the band is the most Spinal Tap-like album title I think ever. <laughs> and do you ever see the cover? All their faces no. are in a wine glass. Oh, okay. So, yeah, 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 I saw that. Um, okay. You had said to me about, I got an email from you about an Emerson Lincoln Palmer album, Love Beach. That's next, to, yeah, that's, that's next, Barry. Like, that's so, the most pastel colors on the beach. No, they look like Bee Gees. They have the white suits on, yeah, and they all yeah. have balls on their crotches, you know, stick but, out. All right, tight but pants, what about the know? record, though? What about the songs? So, uh, so ELP came out. They didn't want to do an album. Ahmed Aragon, I think he saw the death of Prague coming, because he forced Yes around this time to do an album when they weren't ready either. Really? They did the Tomato album, which just didn't click on all cylinders. But this was, Ahmed wanted a hit. So Keith yeah. kind of like handed the reins over to Greg Lake, who could write a really good song when he wanted to. He wrote some of their best songs. So you got side one is all short songs, three minutes. ELP cannot play pop songs. It just sounds so forced. <laughs> First of all, Carl Palmer's not a pop type player. Mm-hmm. Right. Keith Emerson's trying to work his moog into it. You know, I just uh, fans hated it. I don't like it. Even side two, which is a four-song suite called uh, "Memoirs of an Officer and a Gentleman," it's so contrite and forced. It's just and what like year oh, we got to do a pocket. What year did this um, come out? Seventy-eight, and it was nineteen seventy-eight. They're still doing suites with four. If it was inspired, it would have done good, but it wasn't inspired. Also, the Greg Lake year. and Carl Palmer hated being in the Bahamas. That's where they recorded it. Aww. They left. Even when it was being mixed, they got out of there. That they were never together again. They actually left while Keith was getting all the tracks together. Where was it? Like it, Air it, Studios? It, like it's better in, uh, in the Bahamas? Uh, no, some, some uh, if you read Keith's autobiography, it was a studio that had a lot of problems. They just got a studio in the Bahamas. Hmm. It wasn't anything great, you know. Uh, thank you, Amit. See, Amit. Sometimes the things didn't work out. Yeah. I just remember the tight crotched pants is disgusting on the cover. I remember we had a good laugh at the cover too when we were looking at <laughs> shitty album covers one time. Right, right. <laughs> oh god. And it was definitely Bee Gees they were channeling it. Yeah. Okay, yep. next up. Genesis, nineteen ninety seven, calling all stations. Uh Phil Collins had left. So uh Mike Rutherford and Tony Banks decided to carry on and get Ray Wilson in the band. The album flopped so bad that the tour never made it out of Europe. They canceled the U.S. tour. They never played here. Can I, uh, uh, excuse me, can I go Jack uh, Calabrese for a minute? Whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying there was a Genesis album without yeah, that's what I'm telling you. singing that's on it? what I'm telling you. In the 90s. I yeah. never heard of it. So any, it had, it was had a couple songs on, on TV. Were the fans warranted? Yes, absolutely. Because yeah. even though Phil wasn't the original lead singer, he was the lead singer that everyone knew. He was in the band also, from the beginning. So yeah, Also, that's there different. was Genesis Solo fatigue artists. setting in. People were tired of Genesis at that point. So yeah. for them to carry on trying to make another Genesis was foolish. Ray Wilson. It was Phil Collins' or, ubiquity. Yeah. 
poor Ray. He is a good singer. The album has some very good songs on it. There's a couple ballads on there that are so good. He's got a very raspy voice, totally different than Phil Collins. Um, fans warranted hating it? Absolutely. Do I like it? Yes, I like it. Uh, I like about three quarters of it, but they shouldn't have called it Genesis. Sure. Should have been called something else. Well, you know? I wonder how many units it didn't sell. Oh God, it was it's it was hard for me to find on CD because when I was looking to get it, I know they had reissued their albums, but that was like it was just I had to get it used. Yeah. So um, I okay. can see where they would call it Genesis, though. I mean, you know, Peter Gabriel left. There's still Genesis. Hey, Bill Collins leaves. There's, there's still there's true. still two of the there's little Mike Rutherford and uh, Tony Banks. Right? Don't you think actually, maybe you know, it was Bill Collins is not an original member. I mean, he is, but he was not there right. from the beginning. He's on the second uh, record. There's another mm-hmm. drummer so, on the first album. So, yeah, yeah, Banks and Rutherford were the original members. So I, I guess they're justified in doing that. But you know, given the iconic status of Phil Collins, it's like you know, replacing Paul McCartney or John Lennon and the Beatles into some people's minds. And Phil, and Phil said in his autobiography, if he didn't feel any ill will about them releasing that album, he, he felt he was, bad for he, Ray he Wilson. He was glad too. Because Ray Wilson's his career was destroyed by it because he is an excellent, excellent singer. He's still around. He lives in Poland. Okay, next up, you guys know my opinion on this. Jeff Beck, Flash. Yeah, uh, yeah, we we discussed that. Yep. To, yeah, but for anyone that doesn't know, he went techno. He went. Uh, uh, Niles Rogers uh, produced it. Yep. Uh, drum machines galore. Clinical, uh, jarring guitar doesn't mix well. He did it okay with John Jan Hammer, but not with this. Fans yeah. backlash. Understood why you can't ask Jeff Beck fans to accept that kind of stuff. A dance music album. Uh, yeah, it didn't bomb though. It didn't bomb. It had people get ready, which was actually yeah. Kind of yeah, a hit. We, yeah. Did, we did recently. We did a, an archive clip on that. You got yep. you talking about that? Yeah. So I can listen to people get ready. I honestly can't. I can't listen to the rest of the album. I just can't. It's too. I don't mind drum machines. That's the worst eighties drum yeah. machines I've ever heard. Ugh. Is it fact mm, okay. on that? No, that was a Rod Stewart song. So Rod Stewart oh, did okay. people get ready? Would you, would you... Then he appeared on Jeff on Rod Stewart's album. He toured with Stewart in his band briefly. He and then uh, at the middle of the show, Rod would go off and let Jeff Beck play three or four songs. The tour lasted two months. They had a bitter fight. Yeah, they, those two don't get along. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jeff okay, Beck next... cannot go on tour. He'll leave a tour two weeks. In, you know, that's just it's Jeff. Now, that's he... what are you going to do? Yeah. The last twenty years, he was doing his tours because I think he needed money. Like it was like, all right, I got a tour. And he was doing, he was settling down. He was able to tour. I remember buying tickets to see him in Englewood. And uh, I was like, oh, is he going to make it here? Yeah, you know, and he did the whole yeah. tour. So I think it became a business thing. Like, you I got to But he was happy. He had a nice house. He had his hot rod cars that he dug. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's just, he was completely content with that. Do a record and when he has to or, you know, every five years. Kill, kills me that we lost him because right up to the end, his, uh, his yeah. solos, his playing changed. He changed on every album. Never stopped. Next up. My old favorite heavy metal band, Judas Priest, Turbo, 1986. After being the heavy metal masters with Defenders of the Faith, which I will say in heavy metal, that is a great album. Really good album. It's got everything you want in heavy metal. They got into hair metal to a degree. They had guitar synthesizers on it. It's called Turbo. And the single was I'm Your Turbo Lover. It didn't hit too good with fans. Just by that that title. Uh, fans railed against it. Were they justified? Yes. Because when you label yourself the metals, the, everything with Rob Halford, we are the metal, the metal gods. And then you go and you do hair metal. That's not metal. Uh, did I like it? Eh, a couple of good songs on there. It, it, and I think, again, I think that Judas Priest, like Metallica, 
you get trapped in that mold of you have to play that kind of music and they yeah, maybe they yeah. just want to change it up a little bit but whatever it actually sold very well because a lot of fairweather fans like the the pop tunes on it so it did actually sure. do, do really good mm-hmm. and it was the last tour where rob had semi-long hair before he just shaved his head um next up everybody's favorite band kiss music from the elder do you remember that 1981 i remember seeing it that's all i, I can say a, i thought that was hand. gene simmons solo record but i was wrong huh? <laughs> what, no. now okay. well those are going to be on my list any solo records by kiss were going to be on like, yeah, yeah worst <laughs> albums like, so that was a concept album produced by bob ezrin about mm-hmm. two three years from doing the wall so he was hot shit uh bombed first of all it's a concept album they're trying to be proggy there's strings in it kiss fans and i'm not knocking it's just a kiss fan like would a bob seger fan want to hear bob seger do a proggy album no they want rock and roll so the fans hated it they were already losing their fans anyway they were suffering the fallout of dynasty you know um was the fans hated it justified in hating it do i hate it there's actually a couple okay songs on it, but hearing Kiss try to do intricate music, it just doesn't doesn't fly by me. You know, um, I I listened to it once. I probably never listened to it again. But the single "World Without Heroes" by Gene Simmons is actually a pretty good song. It's like an R and B type. Kind yeah, of I've heard ballad, it. That's why know? I thought it was his solo album. Yeah, it's like a world without sun. Isn't it? Is that wasn't the other lyric? World no, that, without heroes, <laughs> like a world without sun. Okay, we're getting, we got four World without five money. More. No, four more. Dream Theater, which you guys huh. know, one of my yeah, favorites. Yeah. 2016, they put out The Astonishing. Now, it's a rock opera, very proggy. You're thinking, why wouldn't the fans like it? Well, they let James LeBray put a lot of ballads, and I love when James LeBray sings ballads, but the fans, it was a lot to sink your head into. Dream Theater are kind of like Rush. There's a split on the fans. There's a lot of the prog fans, but there's also fans that like them when they were a little bit more metal or more commercial with that one hit they had, and they can't sit through the long stuff. So uh, most fans just hated it. They didn't get it. It did horrible in America. It did great in Europe, Italy, England, France, everywhere there. Here, they didn't even, they toured, but uh, fans just like, I went to the Radio City show. People were calling out in the show in the quiet parts you know they were calling out some old songs like come on guys i don't think the fans were warranted saying that because if you're going to like a prog band accept everything you get with it you're not listening to the to to like you know the ramones you're you're hearing a complicated band um james lebray's to me it's his peak with the band i love it one of my favorite albums of all time but fans disagreed i don't think they were right my opinion next up rush Race Under Pressure, 1984. I was in high school. Man, uh, half, more, a little more than half of the fans, Rush fans, and my high school was all Rush fans, hated it. Hated it. All keyboards. Where's Alex? Because they want right. the 70s style. They weren't warranted saying that. Come on. This turned out, in retrospect, time has been very good to that album. It's one of their best yeah. albums. Very dark. It's got Red <clears throat> Sector A, which was Neil Rode in honor. I think of something about it's people surviving a concentration camp mm-hmm. knowing that Getty Lee's mother was a concentration camp survivor. Some heavy lyrics on that yeah. album. And um, so I, I think the Rush fans, it's tough. Rush fans are split. You got the ones that only like the 70s stuff. You know this, Lou, right? 
Yeah. Then you got the ones that like it all. And I'm partial to the eighties sound myself and on because it's, it's got the keyboards. In fact, there are more prog mm. in the eighties to me, to my ears, you yeah. know, yeah. um, I, I disagree to the fans. I listened to a farewell to Kings the other day, actually on Sunday. Great. And you know, it's a, it's a, it's a rock album. They were a rock band. They were proggy, but you know, a lot of stuff was rock. You know, off odd time signatures and stuff like that. But you know, in the eighties, that was rush changing directions. That was them evolving. Yeah, it was recorded at Rockfield Studios in that? Wales. It was recorded well, okay. at Rockfield Studios in Wales. Yeah. Um, okay, Nickelback. Every album sucks. We agree with that, and the fans <laughs> can, you know, if any fan likes it, they can go down. Uh, Chris Gaines uh, sucks, 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 and it deserved to die a slow death, painful death. Um, yes. And then the last one, Frampton. I'm in you. Even though it sold a ton of records. A lot of fans hated it. They are justified. Yeah. I tried listening to it's it. Terrible. We've talked about oh. that because he he made the mistake of not writing songs for himself, writing songs for his fans. Yeah, fatal mistake. And and the but record those weren't company. his real fans. Those were his pop fans. You know, I mean, you know, his hair. You write songs there. for yourself, not for them. That's yeah. the key. Yep. Yep. And yep. What was the, yep. What was the cover he did on that? Signed, sealed, delivered. Signed, sealed, delivered. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. You know, yeah. this was the guy that was coming off the live album where he's a guitar god and he's doing. Which is a great song, but it's like he turned pop. And then I listened to the albums after that. Like there was one after that. It's the same thing. Like he never. It, she, that's why he lost it. He just he got he got. Well, he, he was never supposed to be a pop star. It was that was not. That's not what he wanted. It's just that he's never comfortable with that. Yeah, he got locked in. You know, made a lot of money. I, well, I have I have an album. What do you yeah. have that a lot of fans don't like, but I do? Uh, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. That was a record that the fans mm. initially. Yeah. Were just like, oh, we'll, we'll wait wait till the next one. It's on the top of my list. I love that yeah. record. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I love it. I like. I like it when it came out. I said, you know, at first I'm like, you know, I'm like okay, you know, this is, you know, I was iffy with the river. I liked, yeah. I liked half of the river in some ways, but a lot of it I didn't. But when this came out, I said, you know, five of those songs. Well, I don't have any songs that are on it, but I said this. This is a really good record. You know? I have. Yeah. I have a record that. I. I, I mean. It's hard for me to say record. I mean, I have a re- I have records I'm disappointed in. Like I buy them, like this record here, Ken Stringfellow. Right, I bought the record. Like, yeah, I'm disappointed in it. It's not that I hate it. It just doesn't do anything for me. Like, you know, it was a waste of money. Yeah, I have re- but I do have one record that I despise. I don't want to use the word hate. I despise. Yes, I hate. I despise Terrapin Station by the Grateful Dead. <laughs> I love it. I like it. it is an absolute, the worst album I, it is disgust. First off. The, wow, he hates with it. The, <laughs> with the wah-wah sort of reggae it. crap on the first song. <laughs> estimated <laughs> property. It's just crap. Profit. I love it. Estimated profit. It, great. First off, too much Bob Weir. He sings like every song until that, until that hippie girl sings. And then I think Jerry Garcia doesn't sing till the last song. Terrible. The worst version ever I have ever heard of Dancing in the Streets. Worse, worse than Bowie and Jagger. Worse. <laughs> no. It's, no. It's You're dead, that's horrible. That, 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 it that's is horrible. Shitty drum sound on the record, by the way. Shitty drum sound. Keith. Dead, Keith, dead drums. Keith also. So uh, I'm just saying, Keith, like, uh, too, too much Bob Weir. And I'll put it this way. I wrote down. The biggest piece of crap ever perpetrated on a listener's ears. That's, that's Turpin Station for me. <laughs> and that happens to be one of my favorites because what I like about Studio Dead, you know, I'm a minority. 
I'd rather listen to Studio Dead than Live Dead. That's just me. Wah, I think wah, they wah, it's wah, a great wah, song. Wah, 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 wah. Oh please, that's a disgusting sound. You know what? If when Perry comes over, I'll have to have that playing in the background when he walks in the house. You know, just like Terrific Station. What we say is these albums were albums that bands did that they dramatically changed. Sometimes you understood why, you know, you get in a rut and the fans don't accept it. But the you know, fans uh you mentioned Bruce Springsteen. Though it they, if you go on these 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 forums where people are talking, I said on one forum one time, I said, Does, is anyone just a fan of Bruce? Like, you hate this. I want to hear the E Street sound. I want to hear yeah. the... Everyone's the... Right, exactly right, now. right, yeah. And sometimes, sometimes like I said, if a, if a band puts out a piece of shit uninspired, that's why I kind of said the REM. It was warranted because they didn't put out their best... They didn't put their best yeah. effort into it, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I do have something for you, Mark. You ready to read something? Absolutely. Let me make Here my you screen go. bigger. This is for you. Uh-oh, I don't see anything. REM. REM fans, Michael Stipe doesn't have encouraging news when it comes to ever seeing the seminal rock band together ever together again. In a new interview for New York Public Radio Station WNYC, Stipe was clear about his take on the future or lack of lack thereof of REM. We will never reunite. Do you have Peter Buck's quote? No. He said that we won't play together for a long time. Huh. Wow. I'm thinking they're going to get back together. Mm, Michael Stipe no. changed. He doesn't stay with one attitude. By the way, put that up again. Can you put it back again? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> let me read this first. In 2023, okay. it seems more likely that we can expect an Oasis reunion <laughs> than any point in the last 15 years. It's easier to imagine. What it might look like, <laughs> many industry figures are certain that it might possibly happen. Definitely, maybe. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, maybe. Scott, Scott McLean from uh, Milk Crates would say, nope, it's not happening. Yep. He says right, Liam is the re REM thing again, you said? And Liam is successful, but Liam isn't selling stadiums out in the United States. That's my opinion. Right. That's why I said Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Well, Mark, you mentioned Peter Buck's quote. Uh, like, like you said, but not yeah. right now. I was just looking at huh. that picture. That was like the bad period for Stipe, where that was the MTV period, wasn't it? Like, yeah. You know, why they show such an old picture? Come on. <laughs> now, maybe he's just being coy because he could be coy. Never know. You never know. Hey, you, you never know. know. You never you know. know what's being. When you guys told me, like, I assumed in the 70s, Lennon and McCartney never talked to each other, and you guys said, oh, yeah. no. He used to go to the Dakotas and hang out with John. I'm like, whoa, that blew my mind when I heard this. We don't know what goes on they, behind the scenes. They used to smoke the reefers. <laughs> they used to smoke pie stick. Because I read that in Albert Goldman's trash biography of Lennon, and he was really into the tie stick. Jeez. Well, how about, you know, we were talking about Hall & Oates, right? And I kind of have an update on Hall & Oates, but there was one thing Keith said, too, about uh, Keith Richards said about, like, he said, they're not going to sell their catalog. Keith Richards says we won't sell a music catalog. It's a sign of getting old. Keith Richards <laughs> is not sure the Rolling Stones funny. are ready to sell their music catalog. It said it's usually a sign of getting old. That's yeah, funny. When he's 150, <laughs> he might sell it. And when you're going to live forever, why why sell it? That, 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 that's great. That's great. Yeah. He's still quotable. He's still quotable. Yeah, he's still. Can Keith. you imagine yep. the logistics of that sale being the lawyers, the army of lawyers that would handle that? Shit. I'll be right back. I have to go put some leeches on my body. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. Can we watch? 
<laughs> no. So we're we're doing random kind of right now, aren't we? We're doing random rails, man. It's all, all right because I got, a... got some more stuff when Luke comes back. This is like so a we got the Oasis. Jam. We got the Oasis thing. We got REM Michael saying he's never going to reunite. Um, do you know why Automatic for the People is my favorite album though? There's a personal connection. When when my father got me a tour of Bearsville Studios, I went in. They had just been there like in the last six months recording that album. And he told, yeah. showed me Bill Berry's favorite room for recording bass. It was the vocal room where a lot of uh, doo-wop groups or R&B groups recorded that. But he liked the sound of his acoustic bass in that room. So when I listen to Automatic for the People, it, it's a great produced album. Really sounds good. Yeah, I'm an REM fan, but, you know, like I said, I, I lost that. track with them after a while. Just like Wilco. I'm a Wilco fan, but I lose track with Wilco. They have a new album out. I heard a couple songs. Like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. You know, me, me and Anthony, you, you, you got me into Wilco. I got Anthony into Wilco. And we admitted their last few albums, I think there was one called Star Wars. They are kind of like getting yeah. wishy-washy, you know, mm -hmm. um, not breaking ground. I listened to the whole last album. They did change their direction. They got a producer in the studio and I like it more than, and I don't hate any Wilco album, but they, you know, yeah. Michael, uh, Jeff Tweedy was kind of on autopilot. You know, I, I, yeah. Stuff. I heard, I was a yeah. pia big piano ballad. I heard you. He was trying to, he was doing a soulful thing. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm kind of tired of Jeff Tweedy's voice now. I'll tell you the truth. Really? really? See, I'm liking it more as I get older. I don't know why. I have to check All right, well, I have more random stuff if you want, Mark. Sure. Let's bring Do it you on. No. Lou. Yep. Mull of Kintyre was oh. selling 180,000 copies a day when it was uh when it was a big smash hit. Yeah, it was it was huge. Yeah. This was probably biggest, wasn't in the US. Over, this was all over uh, Europe. All, and, I think it was all over the world. I think that was a huge it was selling, that, that was one of those played songs or the most internationally. It's got some Yeah. Recognition. By Danny it, was it was selling 180,000 copies a day. Do you believe wow. that? Wow. Yeah. For a very oh, traditional God. song. And Mark, uh, yeah. Kiss, apparently Kiss is going to continue on virtually. So they oh, played their that. last show. Yeah. They're going to continue virtually. It's like, wait, it's oh, brilliant. God. Kiss on Broadway. It's insane. It's They it's own. They own the costumes. They own those images. Yeah. So they're going to still be getting paid for... It's this is it's brilliant. They're gonna but have this, kids. This may generic. It's may generic spaceman and cat though. It's not Peter Chris or yeah. Eric Carr. It's correct. Like this, Jersey this Boys. Thing. It's the Jersey Boys. Right? Yeah, they're yeah. gonna farm it out. So Gene said there'll be a Japan kiss. There'll be a, a Philippine right. kiss. They there'll have to pay kiss in Las Vegas. Right. Yeah, that's fine. There'll I be a understand kiss show in Vegas, but it won't be I them. Understand that. But the AI thing, when they had the images saying, we will uh, always be show. in you or something, we will always sound like, what I'm in you. <laughs> yeah. 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 They want to live forever. We suspected uh, that was going to happen, you know. They, they don't want to go away. Subject. I mean, you know, but why, in one way I can see, like, you know, they're never going to tour again. They're like, they're too old. To, they're yeah. told to pull that shit off. They're not going to do world tours anymore. Yeah. No, yeah. no, but, I mean, I wouldn't go see a Kiss AI show. I mean, and so apparently... It, the technology is so that if you say to Paul, I love you, he can say, I love you. And he can almost like respond yeah, but, to certain. But think about it, like Beatlemania type thing. You know, this is Kiss. First off, they're all wearing makeup. So yeah, it looks like Paul Stanley. It looks like Gene yeah. Simmons. Yeah. They're all right-handed. So 
You know, they don't have to have a lefty base player or anything like that. It's all <laughs> like they'll probably play in Englewood at the Bergen Pack Center. You know, the, the Kiss. Uh, you know, whatever they'll call themselves. What? Uh, you know, Firehouse or <laughs> Piss Cold Piss. Gin or something. Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's oh. worse. So, so there won't be. There's no touring musicians. There's no. It's all technology. So this crew will come. You know, like East Coast Lighting and Sound or whatever. They'll come and set all this stuff up because it's just projections. Oh. They well, that's, a vir- that's a virtual thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were doing that. They did a tour with D, uh, the the guys in Dio's band, and they would have a, a image of Dio singing, and the band would play. I'm not into yeah. it. It doesn't inspire me. And the reason I say that is this whole tribute band thing. I saw a Beatles tribute band in Englewood. I think they were called Liverpool, and they come out and they dress wow. in the periods of the Beatles. So they come out in the black yeah. leather and they do the show. And it was yeah. a long time ago. I saw it. And everyone in the crowd is going, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I can't cheer for these guys. It's not the Beatles. Like, I feel like a schmuck. I'd yeah. rather go home and listen to the, the goddamn right. record yeah. and get into it. But I can't cheer for someone playing a yeah. tribute. I, it's not me, you know. Well, there's the thing. There's cover bands. Like you even said, there. you know, there's Led Zeppelin cover bands. But, you know, there's nobody playing the Robert Plant character. They're just a band, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I can dig that. Yeah. I saw a band called 1964 at the uh, actual Civic Center. I took really? a to it. It was like 10. It was his birthday. And yeah. it, was, it was, I mean, it was cool, but it was the early period. So they had the, you know, the suits and, you know, it, it was neat. I think for him, for, you know, for a kid too, you know, he, he knows the music, but you know, he didn't get the whole yeah. live and, you know, Ed Sullivan show that, that we did or yeah. years after it happened. But yeah, I know it's kind of weird. Like to go see like, you know, the, the tribute bands, but to like cheer them, like you're seeing the real thing. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you can enjoy it. I mean, I thought musically they were great till you got up closer. Like these guys are like sixty mop tops. <laughs> like if the Beatles had aged and dyed their hair. I think the reason too I don't like it is have you ever been like when you're in a cover band, it's like, okay, we're gonna play this song. I'm like, you know, like I'd rather play original material. This is where my heart's yeah. at, you know. Yep. That's just where I'm at. And I'm I'm sure you like you said, people there's people that love tribute bands. They see them religiously, you know, it's cheaper than seeing the real thing if the real artist is still around, you know. And you know, fa- fans of the music if your band's never gonna play again. Yeah. You know, if there's an REM I'm sure there's REM tribute bands out there. Cover you know, cover bands are yeah. always played with one of them, in fact. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Really? It's, yeah, it's really. when you adopt a persona. Of, yeah, that's when it gets really weird. We adopt a persona of the of the band. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I know Peter some, Buck I know played some... with a, a band that was not didn't have a Michael Stipe character. They were just a band. Yeah, they, they played REM played songs. REM songs. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that at the second Bill Clinton inauguration, you know, at the inauguration, there was people reading, yeah. you know, poets yeah. or you know whatever. At the second Bill Clinton inauguration, one of the readers was Miller Williams, a professor of literature and poet. Father of Lucinda Williams. Well, hmm. yeah. Wow. And do, now, who did Michael Stipe sing with at Bill Clinton's first inaugura- inaugural? He did, he did a song with somebody, hmm. a female artist that was big. Uh, Natalie, him and Natalie Merchant did To Sir With Love. Oh. All right, Fuck let me ask man. Mark. You yeah. had said to me, a, oh, wait, said, Harry, hold on one second. If I could yeah. just interject real quick. Odd pairs at inaugurations. Obama's inauguration, Jeff Tweedy and Mavis Staples. I remember seeing that going, yeah. whoa, yeah, yeah. Jeff Tweedy's at the White House. Yeah, yeah. He was producing an album for her. Yeah. And you had said to me about these downloads, right? If somebody yeah. got a million downloads, they got a check for $750 or something. Yeah. Right? It, mm-hmm. 
So I got to thinking, like, was Lars Ulrich right with this Napster thing where Napster. he caught so much shit back then with Napster, but maybe he had a, he knew what was going to happen, yeah. and it's actually happening now. You're taking money from Lars. Lars was right. Lar- Lars was right. I was pissed at him because he had some fans arrested, but one thing he was right about is... Arrested <laughs> for, for stealing. They were, they were pirating. He had a Napster, someone on Napster, he had him arrested, but That's right. I got to tell you, there was when Napster started, we had a got a whole generation well, his lawyer of did kids. That. He didn't do it. Yeah. But he allowed it to happen. But we had a whole generation of kids that thought that they could just take music for free. To me, that's akin right. to going through with Sam Goody and taking a CD yeah. and walking out with it. And it pissed me off. And nowadays I argue with Tom Spallone. He'll go on YouTube and download a song. I'm like, Do you like it? Yeah. Do you ever think of buying it? I don't buy music. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not quoting Tom, but we had an argument about that once. Right. But what I'm right. saying is that that it's great. I think what Lars was saying was, yeah, it's like I hate people. Hey, you don't want me to say it. I hate it when people think it's their right to just take a song freely. You got to understand, these artists got to make money. Mm-hmm. I have he no was ahead problem. Of the curve. Them. He knew yeah, it. He was yeah. right. Yeah. Spotify, YouTube. Yeah. We all Pandora, do it. Pandora, right? You know, thing what sucks is that these companies are really screwing the artists, whereas the record companies, they gave a little more money. You know, uh, artists could be making more. It's a shame when you hear about them getting a check for fifty bucks for ten thousand downloads. You know, that's a shame. Right. Peter Frampton said for like "Show Me the Way" or whatever. Until he re-recorded some of the stuff, yeah, he wasn't getting shit. Yeah, uh, I also think that was it the 12, 12 second rule where. An artist doesn't get paid until after someone listens twelve seconds into it. It should be. From you told me that recently. It. Yeah, I never knew yeah. that. Yeah. That's why there's no riffs. But yeah. so you gotta, yeah, hear, that that, so, you gotta I, hear that pop vocal from the beginning, and it doesn't <laughs> shut up until the very end of the fucking song. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that, that's my big complaints. I listen to a lot of different stuff, always in the car. Me too. And you know the modern stuff. I'm like, oh, I, I was wondering a couple of years ago. I said, why are there why are there no instrumental passages in anything anymore? It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just this. Yeah. And you can only And also, I got to a point, like, doesn't anybody want to play the guitar anymore? Like, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's also a disturbing trend in atonal music. There's no melodies. It's very, like, one tone throughout the whole song. And sometimes yeah. it works, like, here and there, but not every song. You know, there's no nice yeah. melody. Nothing moves my heart anymore. A good right. melody will move you. You hear a good Beatles yeah. song. You don't hear that anymore. You, you hear it, but not as much, you know. Yeah. There's. Let's face it. There's good artists out there. They're just not being promoted. Right. Yeah, everyone, everyone's got a chip on their friggin' shoulder. Yeah. It's just. I, it's it's the young. It's the youngsters. You know. I, I guess. I was saying yeah. like a lot of the girls just sound unhinged and angry, and the boys sound like they don't want to get out of bed. You know, just. <laughs> yeah. Just like. But God, so, you know? so Lars was right. I think. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I I, I wasn't because you know it's funny. Metallica back in the day. I don't know if you noticed. They were almost like a Grateful Dead. They encouraged bands to record their shows. They were fine with bands. They would have a, they would always have an area for record people to record, and yeah. they would encourage trade the tapes. But I think you're right. When Lars saw the digital downloads starting, he went after people recording. Then he, they stopped it. He also the record <laughs> company probably got to him and said, you know, you got to stop this and all that. But yeah, uh, yeah. You got your I think collection. it's delivery way he talks. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's a little hard to take. You well. Know? If you want, I think I may have an update on that Hole and Oats thing. Yeah. All right. Let's see if uh, if anything pops up with Hole and Oats. I think the sub- the supporters of of, of uh, Oats all have mustaches. 
Well, this is from The Guardian, which is a British uh, British magazine. Uh, let's read see. It? John Oates says, uh, the planned sale was completely clandestine and bad faith move. Uh, the, the, Daryl Hall says All that. laid out accusations. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It was a blatant violation of a longstanding business agreement between the pair. Yeah, I love the the company's called Whole Oats Enterprises. That's funny. <laughs> That's pretty funny. He alleged that Oats and trustees of his estate spent months falsely contending they wanted to continue owning their share. Very interesting to me. Wait. So it, it was saying that up until a certain time, Oats and his people were saying we're not going to sell we're not going to sell i don't think daryl hall sold his stake in uh I don't hall, think hall. he sold his in 2006 to the same company his primary wave really so yeah the whole thing was hall hall sold his share there's his share first in 2006 and you know he didn't get as much money i wonder if see i wonder if he'd be singing a different tune now if he hadn't sold and he can get like 800 800 million or whatever you know would, would he be singing a different tune but he didn't get what he could have gotten had he waited but you See, know, the, the, I'm confused because Hall says this. He Hall described this as an ultimate partnership betrayal. Got a judge to issue a restraining order against right. the sale of Whole Oats Enterprises. So, uh, you know, my my question is, why does there's this agreement that we have not gotten the details to? Why why did did Hall need Oats's permission to sell Hall's? portion in 2006 or did he do it on his own they probably so, agreed to it in 1972 or something right but 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 we don't know those details did he say look john i, I want to sell my share you know so now right. but he did so now oats wants to sell his but there's this thing like you know the uh you know this long-standing agreement between that we haven't gotten details is the agreement that you know Daryl uh, John Oates need Daryl's Daryl Hall's permission to sell his. Well, I mean, they... Mark, do you want to take this one here? This yeah, one? yeah. And 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 just before I read it, I'm just gonna say, Lou, I bet you that original agreement. Yeah, I'd like to know if it was actually legally tendered, like put on paper, or it was a handshake agreement. Well, I mean, it was not. probably on paper, so, but I don't think they're yeah. you know they have to release the details of it. What was yep. the agreement? Yeah, I think that's you know that's that's the devil right there. Yep. Okay, so Oates filed his own response within hours, describing Hall's statements as inflammatory, outlandish, and inaccurate. He added, over the years, Daryl has consistently and publicly been adamant about being perceived as an individual rather than as part of a duo or group. Thus, he has insisted on our being known as Daryl Hall and John Oates rather than the more commonly known Hall and Oates. On this point, I agree. I agree. I now must act with truthfulness and make decisions that are right for myself, my family, and my artistic future. Gary Delabate put his fist down. Sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> but it sounds here like over the years, Daryl has consistently and publicly been adamant about being perceived as an individual. It sounds like John Oates is a little bit, little jealous there of that, that Daryl yeah. is Daryl. He's always been the little guy, the, the silent guy. Well, yeah, but, but he, he was also like, he said, like, maybe like Andrew Ridgely or where, you know, I saw some live videos where, you know, he sang a fair amount of stuff. And like, Mark, you mentioned that during some shows when he do some solo stuff, people would go out and get a beer. Yeah. But if he didn't write a song, but he wrote a, a shit ton of these songs. So, I mean, they both have yeah. a, a legal claim to it. But is Daryl Hall, my, my thing I'm wondering is, is Daryl Hall this kind of big enough ego guy and some I sour think grapes? Hall has, I think Daryl Hall has. Sure. Oh, I'm sure he <laughs> does. <laughs> He said he was deeply troubled by the deterioration of my relationship with and trust in John Oates. 
and claimed that Oates wanted to create the most harm to me with the timing of the lawsuit. Hmm. Boy, it yeah. sounds like a real uh, snip you, fest going on. You know there, what this huh? reminds me of, Perry? When um when they had that little credit card spat, Neil Sean and Jonathan Kane, the, the yeah, whip right, yeah. going back and forth. That's what we should have had the uh, we should have had the soap opera music, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Here's who's going to take this one here. I'll I'll try uh, this before it collapses. Go ahead, Lou. He opposes the sale to Primary Wave in particular, saying. There is no amount of money that could compensate me for being forced to partner with an entity that I, that I did not agree to partner with and whose business model does not comport with my uh, views regarding the whole Oats, the, the, the whole Oats assets. Yeah. He said he feared Primary Wave would use my name and likeness for branding and commercial exploitations. Primary Wave has not commented on the lawsuit. The Guardian has contacted Primary Wave for comment so daryl is worried about his face being used for something but there's copy these are song copyrights it's not it sounds to me like daryl didn't sell to primary wave there he did he did in 2006 well what, what did he sell maybe he sold, yeah, did he sell copyrights did you sell I, I understand i understand he sold his his share of this catalog that they're in contention over so it's not being addressed it's not being addressed by any of these articles because what i read yeah. Daryl sold it in 2006. He said, "I'm selling my share." Did he? Did, right, he, did so, he need? <clears throat> did he need Hall's um, Oates's blessings? And if not, why does Oates need Hall's blessings? It's not, right, you know, he, Daryl's worried about his likeness being used and stuff. I, I, I think he's pissed off that he just. Mark, take this one. Waited. This is Daryl Hall in 2021. In 2021, Hall spoke of his opposition to selling his publishing rights. Telling Sky News, never sell your publishing. Maybe if you're, you know, 80 years old and you decide to retire, then you can sell your publishing. But I wouldn't even suggest it then. I don't believe in that concept. It's all you have. He doesn't believe in it now. He believed in it then because he did mm -hmm. it. Well, maybe he didn't sell his publishing. Maybe he sold his copyrights to where they can use it in commercials. And oh God, you know, have they been using whole notes in commercials? I have no <laughs> idea. I could see Maybelline using Kiss on my list, right? That could end up, you know. <laughs> but I, I don't recall having hearing private eyes done on anything for. But uh, I, I was on. I was on the. I guess it's, a, it's an assumption. I have to go back and read it. That Daryl sold his his publishing. It was. It was I read know, something the, like that too. I did because yeah. Whole Oats is, is a publishing. But I I just don't know if it's he was selling the same thing that Oats is selling. Right. Well, what's what's involved in publishing? You know, if, if, you know, the three of us write a song, it's, you know, Clickio, Dedovich, and Smith. If I sell my share of the publishing, I'm out. You guys have your share left. But that's it's, different from a copyright, though. Right, right. Yeah. But the, we don't know if that involved copyrights. But I, I, so I thought I read Daryl Hall did not sell his publishing to primary way. No, no, he I read that he did. Copyrights. No, I read he sold his publishing. That's, right, well, I we're going to have to dig deeper into this yeah. for a future episode. To be continued on the yeah. next episode. To me, this is conjecture. To me, it sounds like. He's pissed off because he didn't get a whole lot of money out of it. Music now, relish courthouse. And now you know, John Oates is looking to maybe get a nice windfall. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I still say, all joking aside, I think that Daryl Hall, I mean, sorry, John Oates and Gary Delbate are the same person. I think that yes. Oates was running to the studio. Right. I saw a picture of the two of them together when Hall and Oates were on Stern Show. and they, That's funny. It's, even the teeth, you know, everything. Yeah, that's why... All right, Perry, is that it for your uh, random uh, rolls? You know who Stanley Jordan is? Oh, 
do 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 plays yep. with his fingers, taps. Yeah. I, I don't know. I thought I had a clip of uh, Stanley Jordan uh, playing something. Very unique guitar player. Yeah, he was. Um, I don't know. He's he's one of these guys where like yeah, he does that hammer on. I guess that's what it's called, he right? Do, he doesn't pick the string at all. All he's playing. I, I wouldn't even say hammer on. He just plays with all. He plays with eight fingers, so he can do a running bass line tapping, and then he can yeah. do a solo over it. But he plays his right hand that would normally pick is up on the neck, so he's doing this all the time. I saw him in concert. He's really yeah. Good. I mean, it's just unorthodox. It's like you nobody saw, else you does. actually saw him doing that kind saw of him, stuff. Saw him at Montclair State University, and he played Stairway to Heaven like that. And really, he did jazzy. It was he's when he's he plays guy. when he taps. It sounds like he's picking. So he just said, I'm going to learn guitar and I'm not going to pick. I'm going to tap, you know? Uh, yeah, really good player. Yeah, I've seen a film of him where he's like, you know, it's it's all this. And he was playing like Eleanor Rigby, but he was going. And he's playing, he's orchestrating it on the guitar. And he's able to play all by himself. And you don't need a bass player because he's doing the bass lines. He does traditional jazz. He does Miles Davis songs, and he's yeah, he's he's up. To, he's just a amazing wow. guitar player. Amazing. Yeah, I thought he was a bass player. Get mixed up with somebody. Yeah. No, uh, you know what? I think you know. I know what you mean Lou because there's a a famous jazz bass player named. Maybe it's him. Maybe he is a bass player and a guitar well, player. Part of that. Yeah, right? I, Stan, I think it's Stanley Clark. I think. Oh yeah, 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 That's yeah. Probably it. Stanley Clark was amazing. Yeah, is amazing. yeah. You're right. It's so Stanley long. Clark. Yeah. Yep. He he did an album where Jeff Beck was on. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cry a love album. Great album. But we can I guess the video's not working, huh? Uh, no, no. That was just a that was just a still photo of. Uh, oh. Of, hey, he uh, came him. on the yeah. scene. I say in the late '80s. There was a time in the late '80s where they like everyone was doing different things on yeah, guitar. Yeah. So yeah, what yeah. is that? That's very disturbing. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Looks like part it looks of like dog. a horse's tail. I don't yeah. want to know. <laughs> I have no idea what that was. Harry, that did was, you accidentally open up your was, My Pictures folder? That was Stanley Jordan. That was, uh... Oops. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, and, and you know something? When I saw him at Montclair College, you'd yeah. think that an hour and a half with just one guy on stage would get boring. Never got boring. Oh, he has no band? It was just him and him, a guitar? And he just to hear him do the jazz i mean you know he was just starting to get into he was just traditional jazz when he first started blue note records yeah. that album you know he started to want to get on the radio we had a radio station at the time in new york called cd 101.9 it was yeah, a sort of jazz and even traditional I hate jazz it. artists felt the pressure to get their stuff played so stanley started to do some a little smoother stuff but he was still great he kept his integrity he never sold out yeah, yeah. and he did that stairway to heaven and and it was so weird like for a time you drive your car you put on cd 101.9 you'd hear stairway to heaven in jazz <laughs> it's pretty good check it out it's pretty interesting i thought cd 101 was really soft when it came out me too. I was Me like, ah, okay, this is real. I listen to spa and stuff. It's yeah. amazing how things change. You know, I'll, I'll listen to the chill, chill station. Yeah, me too. Um, My thing is integrity. I just still will never ever give Kenny G any. That no, if he comes no. on, off it goes off. I don't like Kenny G. No, but a lot of those smooth jazz players that I dismissed early on, they were they're really good. <laughs> Do you know who Graham Goldman is? Lou, I know you know who he is, right? Yes. Wasn't he, he was one in of these 10CC? 10CC, that's it. Right? 
Mark, Graham yep. Goldman, right? Wrote him none love. Do you know how many other songs he's written? Do tell. Was he the one that stayed in the band after Godly and Cream left? Uh, he stayed I don't with the know. Band. I don't okay. know, but I know Graham Goldman, right? He wrote for the Yardbirds, for your love, okay. wow. for your love. He co-wrote it with someone. He also wrote Heartful of Soul for the Yardbirds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. Graham wow. Goldman, the guy from 10CC, pre-10CC. Get this. He wrote Bust Up Hollies. Bust wow. Up, Bust Up, Love Goes Under My Umbrella. Graham Goldman. He also wrote uh, Hollies. Look through any window, yeah. Look oh, what wow. you see. And Hermits, Hermits, No Milk Today, Gone Away. That's a great he song. He wrote that no one, milk too. Today, my love is gone yep. away. That's Graham a great Goldman song, wrote actually. that one, too. Wow, that's pretty cool, man. Yep. And he also did, he also got hired by the right, Super the K Productions, you know, the uh, Bubblegum guys. Yeah. Yeah. And he wrote a song called Sausalito for the, high, the, the Yummy Yummy people. He also, they wrote they, the a song company? called Sausalito. And it was written Sausalito. by Graham Goldman. Yeah. Uh, sugar, not to, sugar. <laughs> not to be confused with Mendocino. But he wrote all those hits, Graham Goldman. For your love, Yardbirds, Heart Full of Soul, Yard Bus Stop, Look Through Any Wind. That's a great song. And No Milk Today. He also wrote, you know, those 10cc hits, too. Right? Yeah. Well, after after Godly and Cream left, um, they had a hit with The Things We Do for Love. I believe he oh, yeah. wrote that. He wrote that. And he wrote I'm Not in Love also. I'm not, I'm not in Love. Yeah. Um, and then what is that Jamaican? They had some, they had some other weird song titles. Oh, Dreadlock yeah. Holiday. Dreadlock Holiday. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't like reggae. I love it. Yeah. They were, he, he, oh, that's, he carried that's the band. that song. Okay. I should have yeah. known yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. He, he carried the band pretty good after Godly and Cream left. They did some good music. I'll be back in they a heard, minute. They made some groundbreaking videos too, Godly and Cream. Yeah. Yeah. In that format. It's pretty cool. Cry like, right, the kind of early 60s pop stuff. And then, you know, 10CC was a pretty advanced record, just the, their use of vocals. Like, yeah. I love it. All that background stuff is all vocals, mostly. Yep. Uh, all those, you think it might be a keyboard or a synthesizer, but it, oh. there was that too. But And that middle no. part with Big Boys Don't Cry, that was totally a, a teenage angst coming out. Big Boys uh, Don't yeah. Cry. And, you know, and you think, my first love. <laughs> I think when that record came out, Playboy Magazine said that was one of the top love-making records. Really? <laughs> and isn't the things we do for love just one of the perfect pop songs? It is great. Absolutely. Absolutely. I still like the hearing first, that, too. It was the first release after Godly and Cream left. Like, really? Hey, we don't need you guys. <laughs> well, that's good that, you know, you can you can do that. You know, because some yeah. people leave and it's just never the same. Yeah. 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 So is the uh, how's the uh, the the relish? Is it still in the bowl, or have you used up all that relish there? Relish? Uh, I'm out of relish. Okay, it sounds like we might have a show. God, yeah. I hope so. Hey, listen, I Lou, <laughs> you are the trooper. You uh, are the trooper. Thank you hey, for yeah. Doing oh, no, yeah, no, you know, I, I'm grateful that this happened now. As a, I was saying three years ago, you know, I have asthma. Yeah, and I'll still be knocking on wood, you know, but I just feel like I have a bad cold. But I just it just wipes you out. It takes a lot out of you yeah. more than a bad cold. Well, let's yeah. see if I can get some uh, something. Graduate uh, to my head now. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're starting to sound more like Bono. Name of this band is you too. <laughs> no milk today. It'll make me very phlegmy. No milk today. <laughs> I got a fireplace on it. It's 84 degrees in my living room. <laughs> nice. It's... I, I turned the main heat off in, in the whole house, but I have just have this going. This is. I'm like, I looked at my wall from the thermostat. It was 84. I'm like, this is nice and toasty. Makes you feel better. Wow. So if you well, guys listen... ever do come down in the wintertime, we have a fireplace. Cool. I think it's more snowy down there than it is up here. Uh, Louis and I had school. He, they've called school like two or two times already. He didn't go to school today. Oh. They had uh, in the upper elevations. They had ice. Oh, really? Because, uh, you know, yeah. it, at my front deck, you can see um, up in the higher mountains, it's called horror for us. It looks like snow, but it, it's just fro- it's just precipitation on, on the mountaintops. So it looks like snow, oh, but wow. it's not. Oh, that's cool. Your mother was a horror for us. <laughs> How do you make a horror for us? <laughs> Don't pair. Today, man, we we talked about rem and i'm going to listen to that album again yeah we talked so about it's uh, a great trivia man that was good trivia yeah yeah i failed miserably and i love it because i learned hated albums have some trivia. I, yep uh you know uh anyone out there if you say your favorite band put an album you don't like revisit it 10 years later you yep. never know you might like yeah. it Put yourself in their headspace when yeah. they released it, you know? <laughs> like, Hindsight. Judas Priest wanted to be a hair metal band. They decided it. I mean, you know, who am I to say, you know? So, Well, yeah, it was an oddball show today, yeah. yeah. I got to say, I know you're trying to cue up the song, Kiss. I was going back and forth between no, I got nothing. the Elder got nothing. <laughs> oh, and Unmasked. That was another album that they put out that no one liked, but I loved Unmasked. It was a great pop album, and I just... I went with music from the elder. Well, anyway, um, Perry, you got the picture of uh, the streams we're on because I'd like to read it, but I can't remember because uh, I have no memory. Yeah, since yeah, I heard I can't, uh... <laughs> well, we'll just well, have basically to we'll do it from memory. Like, if you like what you heard, click mm-hmm. like and subscribe. Whatever platform you're on, wherever you're listening to, we're on every week. We're on that platform. So, uh, you subscribe on YouTube, you'll be notified when the show's out. You'll know about us. We really appreciate it. Email. Perry, what's the email? Uh, MusicRellishShow at, at gmail.com. MusicRellishShow at gmail.com. Even if you don't like it, send us criticism. We can take it all. If you want to say, you know, Mark is has a fat neck, that's fine. That's all fine. You can say whatever you want. we just like to hear from you. And uh, we will respond to you. Yeah, it's available on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser. Amazon Alexa, Overcast, Podchaser, Pocketcast, Odyssey, Odyssey, YouTube, and yeah, did we say Spotify? Yeah, Facebook. Yeah, we're on all those sites. Yeah, Facebook. Yeah, but Facebook just Facebook. links you back to the YouTube. So listen on YouTube. Yep. When does when does Mardi Gras start? Isn't that February? Or did I miss it? We miss it. March. March. It's March. We should do the we should do the New Orleans show. Let's set it back, maybe. I think oh, that's maybe. a good like idea. Good idea. Save good it idea. for uh save it for Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday. Right? Yeah. We'll make yeah. gumbo. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, eat a bo- I'll eat a bowl of gumbo while we're Interesting. Here. Gumbo. Yeah. <laughs> gumbo would loosen my sinuses up nicely right now. It would be ugly though. It would be just pouring out. <laughs> I mean, I'd end up eating half my mucus and it would be drinking through the bowl. <laughs> would it look like that night with the Walkman and the Chinese food? 
<laughs> too much. It was it was fourteen suffering bastards that made me vomit. So, boom, bam, ba boom, boom. Wait, was that like that's a Johnny Carson thing, right? Johnny Carson. <laughs> What's that? When he gets pulled over for drunk driving, you know, I had I had two uh, I had two zombos. My ties. Zombo was the guy from the monster over at uh, the uh, Grauman's Chinese. Yeah, I was at the Oriental Luau. <laughs> oh, in Old yeah. Japan, New Jersey, Old Japan. I, I love, remember I love that, that place. place. Man. Yep. <laughs> I, what I, was I, the one on Old Hook Road? <laughs> Hong Hing. Uh, oh, Hong, Hing. Hong, Hong Hing was great. That was the best yeah, around. No, but that I was think, when I was uh, we were visiting Lou in, uh, in North Carolina, and they had one restaurant in Nashville just called Oriental Restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one ate there. Um, what I remember I, about what Hong Hing was, you would go in there, and I'd order takeout, and they say, how long do you want it to take? And I'd go, it could take an hour. I can have a few drinks. Yes. Next <laughs> thing, you're on an empty stomach. You've drank. You're turning on the Old Hook Road, which is basically a yep. four-lane highway, and you're it's making a, a left, and you're buzzed. You're like, oh, my God, I'm going to yeah. get fucking killed. <laughs> and there's a cemetery right next door, too. <laughs> you spent more than $50 on food, too. I, I, I think I went other. I had to spend $50. I would get shrimp toast because they made the best. Well, it's been real, and it's been wonderful. We bid you good night. See you next week on The Music Relish Show.